It's time for CBJ in 30, presented by Telhio Credit Union. Find us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, YouTube, and TuneIn. The easiest thing to do is tell Alexa or Siri to play CBJ in 30. Here's your host, Bob McGilligan. Welcome to another CBJ in 30 presented by Telhio Credit Union. The Blue Jackets last night fell in Edmonton to the Oilers. They were beaten by the score of 5-2. to two. The Blue Jackets finish this leg of the road trip with a record of one win and two losses, winning in Seattle and losing in Vancouver and in Edmonton. And the game in Calgary for Saturday has been postponed. That will be rescheduled for a later date. The Blue Jackets are going to come back to Columbus and then leave on Sunday late afternoon to go to Buffalo to take on the Sabres on Monday. Coming up, I'm going to talk with Blue Jackets President of Hockey Operations, John Davidson. Do you know his entire story? Do you know what he was as a player and then as a broadcaster and then as an administrator in the National Hockey League? Well, if you don't know, you will know in just a few minutes. But not until I tell you about the fine folks at Telhio Credit Union. You know, at Telhio Credit Union, they have plenty of services to offer, whether it's just basic checking or a savings account, maybe it's a loan for your small business, maybe it's the holiday season and you want to get a little bit of extra money. Whatever the case may be, Telhio Credit Union can help you with all of that. To find out more information, just go to their website at telhio.org, surf around, click on all the different tabs, and you'll be able to find out everything that you are looking for. But if there's something that you don't find, if you are surfing during regular business hours, there's a live chat option on the right-hand side of the screen. Click on that, and someone will pop up on the screen to help you to find what you're looking for. Telhio Credit Union is open to everyone in Central and Southwestern Ohio. They are federally insured by NCUA. Now here's Blue Jackets President of Hockey Operations, John Davidson. Well, J.D., I really planned on us doing this interview when you were back home in Calgary and uh, getting to, you know, relive old memories and the whole nine yards. But obviously that has uh, that has all changed with uh, the, the COVID situation that's gone on right now. The Blue Jackets not going to be able to finish this road trip and, and get that game in in Calgary. It'll have to be played later on. So did, before I get to what I really want to talk to you about, you know, this whole situation has kind of thrown not just this team. It's thrown the league into kind of a tizzy in the last couple of days out of nowhere. It's exploding. It's absolutely exploding, Bob. I know that uh, every time you pick up your phone and you look at texts that are coming your way, it's different teams, whether it be players, whether it be fans, uh, coaches. It's it's absolutely goofy the way it's exploded. Myself, on a personal note, I had planned to go three hours into the mountains from Calgary, and I have three brothers out there, and it, uh, I haven't seen them in two and a half years. And that I had to squash that. I can't do it just what it is it's the life we live in right now and it's um it, 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 we have to pay attention to this stuff we as an organization certainly do just to do what we can do and then people in general let's do our parts to try to get rid of this stuff otherwise it's just going to drag and go on and it's it's just a horrible situation Right, and then and now you get to deal with uh, and the league's been dealing with this the whole time rescheduling games at some point as it stands, you have to go back out to Calgary and figure out how to make that up. And there's, uh, you know, the Olympics is a big thing. I mean, uh, wh what's going to happen there, right? A lot of players are starting to talk about it uh, here in these last couple of days as this gets worse in North America. Yeah, this whole thing's so complicated. Uh, just with the NHL itself and games these days, how many players you have out? Do you still play the games or do you have too many players out? You can't play the games. 
And then there's salary cap issues. You know, if you have four or five guys out and you've got to call people up, it, it complicates badly the whole situation. And I give, I give them credit because they have to think about it every day. They have to uh, sort things out and, and deal with the complications of what's going on. And I know they've been ready for it because they went through it last season, but, but it's just exploded in the last few days here with the Omicron. And it's, it's just nuts. I have a daughter that's a doctor. I talk to her all the time, just about every day. She's in St. Louis. It's nuts there. It's just crazy. And just the straight truth, nothing but the truth, the people that are having the toughest time are the ones that are not vaccinated. And she's the doctor, not me. I don't know what I'm talking about, but she's very disappointed in that just because people are dying and, and people are getting very sick. Some recover, but gosh, help yourselves. And uh, it's not my business, but still, that's just the way I think because she tells me that and she's the doctor, not me. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's um, just a situation we have to deal with. The league does the best job they can. I know uh, Mike Priest and our ownership, they, we, we constantly are in touch and talk about this stuff all the time. Our rules are changing mid-trip, Bob. Halfway through this trip, all of us, you travel with us. We have to do things a little differently. We just do to try to keep control of what's going on. I really noticed a change in the players as this started happening. Of course, it really started on Monday morning because uh, Carolina played in Vancouver on Sunday night, and then on Monday they had a couple of players that had to be left behind. And then as you, you know, you're just around the players, and I'm sure this happened to you, the concern starts to be, we got to get back home before Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, here no, you are. True. It's part of life. Right? right? Yeah, if you have children. Well, hypothetically, if you're, if you're in Columbus and your wife's back there with a couple of your children – and they were going to fly their grandparents in. You know, the, the the whole thing, it gets complicated because if somebody shows up and has it, you can't. You have to isolate. You can't bring older people in. The whole thing. I know in Calgary it seems like it was ground zero for this thing. And uh, they're, they're, you know, started with some of their players. Carolina went through. Some of their players got it from there, took it to Vancouver. Some Vancouver players have gotten it. Carolina continued on their trip into Minneapolis. More players ended up showing that they had it. Had to cancel a game with Minnesota. They had to uh, find a way to get the players in Vancouver that were isolated out of there so they can get home for Christmas, and there was charter jets and ambulances and everything else to make it happen. Uh, Calgary, where it started with, who knows, one or two players, it's now over 80 people, 80. 80 people, which includes trainers, coaches, players, players' families, players' families, which includes their wives, wives pardon me, and their children. Now, you think about it, maybe those children went to school. Uh, it's just, it's got awful. It's just awful. And it's, it's the, it's the times we live in and we have to all get together and do the best we can to try to get rid of this damn thing. Well, again, the reason I wanted to sit down and talk to you wasn't about this, but this all happened. So I'm glad that you addressed it that, uh, the way that you have, what I wanted to talk to you about is I, I was thinking about this as we were going on the trip and so many Columbus Blue Jackets fans, of course, know you for being the, the president of the team and the things you've done and being a broadcaster in the past. But, um, I, I think that we are remiss if we think that everybody knows everything about hockey and has for a long, long time, you know? And, and I thought with you being on this trip and supposedly going back to Calgary at the time, it would be nice to talk a little bit about your story because you, I mean, you have a tremendous story for many, many, many years, many, <laughs> decades. Many, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say Let's that just word. get to it. <laughs> I was going to say that word. I wasn't yeah. sure. But, uh, but really, and, and it really was in Calgary, really – at what point did you start to play in net? At what, at what know, age did you become a goalie? I was, 
I was something like 14 or 15 in that neighborhood. I had been a left winger. I remember one year, um, yeah, playing playing left wing, and then a, a goalie got hurt. Don Cutts, his name was, and I ended up going in. And boy, did I ever like that! And uh, that uh, that summer, I had been working for a grocery store to try and make some money. And then my parents ponied up the other half, and I was able to go out to the interior of British Columbia to a hockey school. And uh, in turn, that really helped me. I went back into Calgary after that. I was in you know, great shape because you've gone through the school for two or three weeks. And there was a tryout for the junior team there, and they ended up uh, grabbing me. And then I played in Lethbridge for a year, Lethbridge, which is two hours south of Calgary. And um, that's the team I played for in the playoffs. Third, 19 seconds into the third period of the first playoff game, the rink burned down. And it was an astonishing thing, right to the ground. We, we, I saw the flames down the, the other end of the ice. I skated over, jumped over the boards, went on the street, across the street, leaned on the goal stick with my equipment on and everybody else, and the place was, it was jammed with about 1,800 people. And you couldn't get any more in there. It was all made of wood. And the whole thing burned right to the ground. It was astonishing. But, uh, yeah, my, my story is we moved around a little bit. My dad was in the, in the police department, and we learned uh, – to skate on ponds and rivers and creeks all winter long in Alberta. And then uh, Calgary became my home. It's a great city, and we played a lot of hockey. I, I remember one year, played for three different teams. Played with a local community team. Um, a friend of mine's father worked at the Burns Meatpacking Plant, senior team, men's team. I played for them, and I also had a paper route. I had two paper routes, one in the morning, one at night. And uh, the Calgary Herald had a, had a league, and I played for them. So it was three leagues going at one time. It was awesome, just awesome, and it just fell into place. The, the first thing is I want to ask you, you said you played left wing, and then you stepped in to fill in a goal, and you really liked it. My question is, what did you like about it? Why would you like that? I, I, I'm, I'm assuming you, uh, you know, did you not score very many goals? <laughs> actually, I, I was a pretty good – I wasn't good, no. I was a pretty good skater. That's where I learned to skate. You have to I, – I think a lot of people out there don't understand that goalies, to be good, you have to be able to skate. You really do. It's balance, it's quickness, it's a little bit of everything. So uh, that helped me. But, I, again, it, any young kid, you like doing something you're you're fairly good at or you really like it because you can get the job done, sort of. And that's what, uh, oh, this goaltending, I'm a lot better goalie than I am a left winger. Maybe I'll try this. <laughs> and I borrowed somebody's equipment, and uh, it just real quick, it just fell into place. And, uh and then the rest is history. It's been, you know, I've been in, involved with the NHL now for 49 years, 49th year, and uh, these are the years prior to that. So hockey's been very good to me, very, very good to me. It is almost astonishing to think about somebody not playing goaltender, not being a goaltender until they're 14, and then being on a major junior team, and then and then making the next step to the National Hockey League. W once you started to play junior, I mean, what really, how'd you take off like that, like, what what uh, you know, how comfortable were you right away? Uh, pretty pretty comfortable. What what happened too back then? There was just one coach. There was no goalie coaches. There was a goalie school. What's interesting about that? There's a legend that played goal in the in the NHL. His name was Glenn Hall. He's in the Hall of Fame, obviously. And it was he was the goalie coach for that hockey school. And I went there, and he wasn't there. Uh, they had another guy by the name of Seth Martin, who ended up uh, he played for the Canadian national team for a number of years, and this and that. And he really helped me. He just passed away a few years ago. And he really helped me. It was it was awesome. And uh, so I understood the position a little more. 
But basically, you're self-taught back in those days, and away you went. And you know, when we were we were kids too, it wasn't it was a little different than today. We we played soccer, we played baseball, we played hockey, and at school we played basketball or whatever it was, soccer again. Um, it wasn't just one sport. It was growing up in Calgary. There's those seasons, and so whenever whenever a season came up, that's what you played. So you become you became more athletic to do with all kinds of different things. Playing little league, or pony, which is after the little league. I was a third baseman, I think, which is very average. Tried out for the high school football team, didn't make it. They gave me a helmet without a face mask on it, and I lined up against the guy, and he gave me a forearm shiver and broke my nose. First practice, <laughs> and but the hockey thing just kept just kept basketball was a great sport to play too. And soccer, I love soccer. First knee operation was from soccer. And um, so you played all those sports. And then I was very fortunate in some ways because things just sort of fell into place. And I got pushed, pushed big time. And uh, then it just grew. It just grew. Talking with John Davidson. He's the president of hockey operations for the Blue Jackets. But we're talking about his career and you became the first goaltender to come out of major junior and go directly to the National Hockey right. League when the St. Louis Blues drafted you. And that had to be almost astonishing at the time, wasn't it? It, it was pretty interesting. I was 19 years old, and I've often looked back, and I've often said that I should have I should have learned a little more about – I should have gone to the minors, should have played a year, maybe two, and see what, what happened and how to handle life in general, how to grow up and mature. I was on my own for sure. And it was just different. You, you, you didn't get the help that you have today. Uh, there was a couple of players in St. Louis that really helped me, but you were on your own. And, um, and uh, so that was, that was exciting. I, I had a real good start to that first year and ended up uh, having a knee issue later, missed the last six weeks, which really hurt. And then the next year I was very average, or less than average. I ended up getting traded after that year to the Rangers, which ended up being a blessing too, even though I loved St. Louis and what I went through. But... Uh, it was real, real good success early, and then with the knee injury, it was a battle coming back. Went to New York, and as you know, New York is a very different city than a Midwestern St. Louis, and I was hard to get used to. But once you get used to New York and it gets in your blood, that's something else to, to go through those those emotional games at Madison Square Garden where if you play well, they're chanting your name. If you're not doing so well, they'll let you know very loudly, which, which was good because it pushed you. All the time. That's why I think in baseball or even football, some athletes go in there, they get traded to the Yankees or the Mets, and they don't do well. And that's because they can't handle New York and what it throws at you. Others thrive. And Reggie Jackson, I remember him going there. Man, he just he hit the he hit the lottery, or New York hit the lottery with him. You know, it's there's always a story to these people and how you deal with what New York throws at you. When you went there, when you got traded by St. Louis. Uh, when you looked at the landscape, it didn't look like you were going to be like the number one guy there at the time. No, right? Eddie Jockerman right. was there, and he was a, a legend. For the Rangers, an absolute legend. He was exciting to watch play. He skated out of the net a lot, handled the puck really well, and passed the puck and stopped the puck. I couldn't even handle the puck. I mean, I, I may have been the worst of all time. I'm being frank. I was brutal. But anyway, uh, through towards the end of camp at the start of the season we uh they made a trade and he he went to uh to detroit and that became interesting and things went pretty well and then uh i remember that and this was a tough one he came back just after he got traded as a detroit red wing 
and Madison Square Garden was full, and the, the love for Eddie was, you can't even explain it. There was signs and banners and the, just cheering and cheering and cheering, and uh, he stopped about 47 shots that night and beat us, and I was at the other end. That wasn't that enjoyable. It was great to see him get what he richly deserved, and he was very good with me. We talked after the game, and he was very good with me. And I guess the, another interesting part of that was about two months later, Detroit came back. There wasn't much hoopla, but we beat him, and I had my first NHL shutout. Nobody cared. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way it goes. That's the way it goes. But that 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 experience of Eddie coming back, me uh, not playing great, him standing on his head. I mean, he just stopped everything. We just threw everything at him. That helps make you tougher. Were you shocked when they traded him? I mean, did you even no, see that coming? No, didn't see it coming. We were on an airplane, and uh, I was just sitting towards the back, and our trainer, Frank Pace, came back and whispered in my ear that Eddie's gone to Detroit. <laughs> the old Johnny Gleason, uh, or, you know, it's just Jackie Gleason, yeah. pardon me, going, humana, humana. That was a humana, humana. And, uh, yeah, that was quite an experience. But the team was transitioning, getting younger. They had had their window, I think, open, and, it, and they almost won everything. And then it was closing. And then the other goaltender was Joe Villamere. He was gone, too. He's a, another very good friend, uh, battling uh, brain tumors right now and fighting along and doing the best he can. Eventually, the, things worked out great with the New York Rangers. You take yeah. them to a Stanley Cup final. Uh, you know, you, uh, you eventually became, even though you may have lost that game against Detroit, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you got your due when it was all yeah. said and done. You know, yeah, I think injuries played a part of my demise uh, as a player, I retired at 29, but I had lots of adventures prior to that as a as a member of the Rangers. We, we in 79, went to the finals. We beat L.A. in the first round, Philadelphia in the second round, the Islanders, which was a gigantic rivalry, and so was Philly, uh, beat them in the uh, third round and then lost to Montreal in the finals. And they had, seemed like, 12 Hall of Famers or future Hall of Famers. It was a great team. Uh, the, the, the The memories there are are still vivid, even though it was 1979. One of the, one of the you can't explain it uh, in New York when you get into Madison Square Garden and it, and it's just nuts with the way, with the way the team's going and how they how they get into it. I would wake up in the morning up at our home and there'd be gifts on the doorstep from people I didn't even know they knew I lived there. It was just crazy, and it was similar in '94 when the Rangers won and I was a broadcaster. One of the interesting things there to talk about about New York and how they can, it's hard to explain, but we weren't invited to the parade when they won because we were going to be at Madison Square Garden in the studio televising the parade. And Sam Rosen and I were the broadcasters, and uh, that was our job. And I wasn't very happy because I wanted to see this and be a part of it. Next thing I know, they kidnapped us. The police came into the studio and they grabbed us, and I, I even left my briefcase there. Away we went, threw us in a car, police car, lights on, headed down towards the Canyon of Heroes where they have their parades like the Yankees and all that. And we didn't win. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm sorry, the, the Rangers in 94, this was, and they won. I often think of the Beatles song, The Yellow Submarine, yeah. where you're in there and you're looking up from the bottom. In this police car, driving down there, there was nothing but faces, millions of faces you couldn't even yeah i mean it was it was overwhelming just to see this and then to go there and go to the podium and all that and, and see and be a part of it i want that in columbus badly 
I mean, it was something you can't experience or think about it till you do experience it. It was, it was really something. And I get it now when you see the, the old newsreels of people coming to New York and they take you down if you've done something special to the Canyon of Heroes and they ride you through. And it could be a multitude of different people in different forms of the world, in sports and in, in uh, flight, you know. Th- there it is. And then we were part of that. And that was pretty darn interesting. You said that injuries kind of dictated when your career was going to end, but who was it that recognized that you had a second career in well, the game, uh, yeah. and that's as a broadcaster? I loved television my whole life, and I've always watched sports. Um, growing up in Calgary, Saturday mornings, the baseball game of the week was on. And used to, that's, because, that's why I became a Yankee fan, because it was always the Yankees. You know, people like Yogi Berra playing in that. I eventually met Yogi. We used to play golf tournaments with him because <laughs> it's New York, you know. And um, and just to to love that part of it at 29, the Garden or the Rangers decided to keep me and do different things. I tried scouting, which I liked. Tried television as the third guy, which I liked. It went pretty well. And then after a couple of years of that, being a third guy, uh, Hockey Night in Canada invited me to move back to Calgary and do games up there, and I jumped at it. And uh, Phil Esposito had been the color man for the Rangers in the booth like Jody does now. So I figured, well, Phil's there, and I'd like to do it. I'm going to go. So we moved back to Calgary, my family, and started doing games. And I was doing Calgary Flame games. I was doing Edmonton Oilers games. And I was doing Saturday Night Hockey Night in Canada. So it was all kinds of games all over the place all the time. I remember one time doing eight different road games in eight different cities in eight different nights. It was crazy. But but that's how you learn. Then Phil Esposito decided to become general manager, so the job was open. We moved back to New York. And uh, and then I just fell in love with I love the people you work with. Um, as an ex-player, it's nice to be part of it. You know, just nice to be part of it. It's in your blood. So you travel, you're with, you're with players, you talk to people all over the league, and it was fantastic. What a life. It was great. You did. Uh, you've done network. You've done Olympics. You've, you've done it all as a broadcaster. That's why you're in the Hall of Fame as a broadcaster, there's no doubt. But with, with a lot of help from a lot of people. Yeah, well, that's that's part of it. But if you don't have the talent, you don't get well, there either, Jamie. Yeah. Don't sell yourself short. got to work. You just got to work. Yes, you do. But with all of that being said, explain to me, because I know this feeling. I don't know if the fans understand this feeling, but um, I love to work for a team. I love to be a part of a team. I love to feel like I'm part of a family when I'm with a team. So even with all of those international events that you did and all the network stuff that you did, was working for the New York Rangers still the most special thing that you did? As a broadcaster, yes, because of what you're saying. Um, you're there longer than most players or coaches, and and you build relationships. And to see the people that came through New York, like Mark Messier and Wayne Gretzky, and see how they treated people, see tough guys come through, see uh, – guys that are getting their first games and may only play three in their careers, but but the excitement that they have, all that stuff is special. And then every year you try for the playoffs and then you get into your run and away you go. I, I think the longevity of that is very important because it stabilizes everything that you do. The other stuff like an all-star game or Stanley Cup finals or the Olympics are fantastic, but they're a little shorter. Um, the Olympics was something pretty special. You know, it just, it was pretty special. I did five of them all over the world. And um, 
one was in Salt Lake City, the others were um, in, in Europe or parts of Europe, to go over there and broadcast primarily the uh, U.S. games. It was kind of like if you're with CBS or ABC or NBC, whoever it was, it's kind of like you're there and you're part of it with the hockey team and you're against the world. <laughs> you know, you're there. You're just you, just you guys, and you're against the world. And that was something else. That was unbelievable how that uh, that was so special, just special, and the memories are fantastic. I would always make sure I took my wife and two children, much younger then, obviously, and I worked, I worked, but they got to see and uh, understand parts of Italy and Japan and Norway and France. It was it was just special times for everybody. With John Davidson, Blue Jackets president of hockey operations, you mentioned Phil Esposito got out of broadcasting and became a general manager. So he went into that management role, and then eventually you did the same thing. Uh, yeah. How tough was that for you to leave that, as you said, the longevity in the broadcasting job? You probably could have done that job for as long as you wanted to do yeah. that job. No, you're right. You're and right. you decided yeah. that you would rather try to take a different route um, and go to St. Louis and run the that team. Was, that was taking a chance. I, I was a player. I had to retire at 29. Then I got into the broadcasting world primarily. So I was kind of reinvented and got into that. And then I said, okay, I I just I think I probably did too many games. Um with the all-star game and then two months on the road with the playoffs, if your team's out uh, and it just sort of, it got hard. It got long. And I said, you know what? I, I, I've been invited to move to St. Louis and be a part of a club there with, with ownership that I knew that came out of Madison square garden primarily. And because I knew them and because I had played two years in St. Louis, I said, okay, I'm going to give it a run. So try to reinvent myself <laughs> again. And it was, it was, a lot of learning, a lot of good stuff, a lot of stuff that wasn't so good. It was also going to a team that if there was 35 teams in the league, we were 36th. It was it was a big, big, tough rebuild. Uh, but we battled our way through and learned. I learned a ton. It was fabulous. And then um, new ownership came there after, I think, about eight years. And, uh, and uh, we talked and decided on some things, and Columbus called. Didn't know much about Columbus other than I went to high school with Jeff Rimmer and he just talks about the town like it's a great city and he's right. And so getting to know the McConnell family and Mike Priest and others, here we go, move again. And uh, and then, of course, there's New York and back and I think it's 17 houses we've had since I turned pro. <laughs> 17. And this is going to be the last one. This is the last one and it's in Columbus and that's it. I bet you made some money off some of them and some you didn't. That's right. That's right. It, it was fun for a while. Let's put it that way. It was a lot of fun for a while, but not so much fun other coming, times. Coming back this time, how much more special is it for you? Because obviously, you know, there was that uncertainty. You you, you go back to New York, you have a gig, all of a sudden it's gone. Yeah. What are you going to do now? You say you've been in the game 49 years in yeah. the National Hockey League, and all of a sudden – you're looking around and saying, what am I going to do now? You know, when I left Columbus, I said a lot of things about the city and the organization and the ownership. Some people, I'm sure, believed me. Others said, ah, yeah, why are you leaving then? That type of thing, which is understandable. But when they decided to, with ownership in New York, and Mr. Dolan owns a team. He owns a team. He can do what he wants to do. He decided to make some changes. And um, I was sitting at home going, what am I going to do now? Am I going to retire and a lot of people told me, take a long time and, and try to figure out what you really want to do. So 
And then the phone started to ring. There was a couple of teams that called. There was a couple of uh, television networks. There was the idea of retirement. And and then Mike Priest called with Columbus. And I truly, truly, truly loved my time, and so did my family, in Columbus. Really enjoy the ownership. And I love the building, the practice facility next to it. They're married together. The fans, the style of life, uh, the road systems, the school systems, everything with Columbus. And uh, it was an easy decision, and it was a quick decision. And now we're just trying to get this organization going again and uh, working at it. Going to be some bumps and and uh, potholes we're going to hit, but we're going to get through it. When you came in the first time, your thing was brick by brick, and uh, and you guys built it like that, no question. And and then obviously this past summer, a lot of those bricks, or at the end of last year and yeah. then into this summer, a lot of those building bricks uh, went somewhere else, and and you move on, but. You know, it's really – I give Yarmo a ton of credit. Uh, what he did in that trade with the Chicago Blackhawks over the summertime yeah. was, was amazing. And I, and I watched the uh, behind the battle with you guys and the, kind of the behind the scenes as you were uh, doing those deals and talking to people and, you know, talking amongst yourselves. And it was incredible. And I, I, I've always said this, J.D., that all year long. I, I said that I came into that draft and I was wondering if this is, you know – four or five years of darkness with this team is is gonna is it going to take that long to turn it around and then that trade was made and then you guys made the three picks that you did that night and then the next day Atkinson goes out and Voracek comes in and I love Jake when he was here 10 years ago and he's the same Jake and he can still play as, as we've seen this year um you know but for you too did you was there a point where you guys wondered can we really turn this around can we do this reload like we think we can do um yeah I I, I know that you know, when the, when the Columbus Blue Jackets went for it, there was a lot of trades made. There was uh, knock, you knock off Tampa Bay, you lose to Boston in a long series. Uh, Tuka Rask really was good in goal. He just was fantastic. So that knocks a little bit out of your organization, and you got to battle your way through. And then I, I also think that this is one thing that I'm going to continue to pound uh, the drum with is that Columbus and playing for the Blue Jackets is really good. Classic example would be Sean Corrali. I was talking to Doug McLean the other day. Doug's son is Corrali's agent. And he was telling me that with Corrali, he can hardly wait to get to the rink every day. He loves playing for the Blue Jackets. Obviously, he's from Columbus, so he knows the city. But that's that's what we want. And so we've done, a, done some things like uh, the redoing the locker room, things just things that really spice it up. Um we do have future coming. Uh, there's no question about it. It's my job to make sure everybody retains their patience level because we just have to go through it. There's no, if you, unless you get a really lucky, quick fix in this business. But at the same time, to see a Sillinger come in and play the way he's played, see Boquist when he was healthy, he's coming back shortly, but he's the way he moves the puck, it helps a power play. To see the veterans like Waranski and... Uh, Gavrikov, I've really enjoyed Gavrikov this year. Uh, I always say he's a he's a play stopper. When 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 he has to go do a job on a player along the boards, the play's over because he wins with his strength. Um, so there's a lot of things that are good. Uh, there's a lot of things that we need to work on. Our goals against isn't good enough. It's and it's it's climbing in the wrong direction. Um, we know we're we're a team that can get heavier and. Uh, 
working on that. But this stuff, a lot of other teams think the same way. So you have to really, really, really analyze what you have, how you can get to where you want to go to and stay with the plan unless you can expedite the plan. I liked what Yarmo's done with uh, Rick Nash helping us, the way he has the ability to talk to young players when they're drafted or whatever. Uh, I like the way we have our development coaches in place with uh, with uh, Dorset here now. Uh, we have people in Europe that help us. You have to go through the draft as much as you can. And if you look at the last number of Stanley Cup winners, the majority of those rosters have been people that have been drafted within the organization. St. Louis won. Um, I counted those players. When we were there running the team, 10 of the players of the 20 that were on the ice the last night were there when we got them there. And so it, it just reaffirms that, yeah, you know, you got to stay with it to do it that way. So our drafting's got to be good. Our development's got to be good. And we're seeing some pretty good results of that. Yeah, really good results of that. You know, you were alluding to earlier how there was, you know, there, obviously there was that time where there were guys that, you know, wanted to be somewhere else, and, and you went yeah, through that. Oh, yeah. and, uh, to me, and I don't know if you agree with me or not, but the minute that Zach Wierenski signed his deal, that's when – if I was doing interviews with people and they would bring it up, I yeah. said, I'm done talking about that now because of this. Yeah. Uh, because that was, you know, and I know Boone signed a deal too, but I, I thought Zach's deal was so, um, it, such an example of a guy that was drafted by this organization, enjoyed this organization, saw a lot of his buddies leave, and saw an opportunity to be a bigger part of this organization. And from Detroit. Right, yes. Born and raised, family there, the whole thing. He could have waited it out and gone and signed in Detroit or asked for a deal to go there. He wanted to be in Columbus. I think it's pretty interesting, too. I mean, we have to understand, Seth Jones is a great player. And uh, Zach, I think, embraced the idea of him being the guy back there. And and I think it's it's pushed him. I think it makes him even a better player. Yeah, he's he, playing like it right now, isn't he's he? He's thriving on it. Yeah, absolutely. Last When we lost in Vancouver, it was 3-3, and he hit the goalpost with three minutes left. Darn. But uh, he, that's just he embraces that, and then he just missed uh, the puck over the top with three, four seconds left, and you could see him. Oh, just look to the heavens and go. Oh, I had that chance, but I, you know, I, I like the way he competes. I just do, and he's a wonderful person. So he's those are the type of people. Boone Jenner is another one that you can build around for sure. Leadership, work habits. The fans love the way they uh, the way they play. It's interesting this season at home. Our home games have been pretty darn good. Pretty darn good. Even playoff games. The atmosphere has been playoff. Now you're getting to where I was going. That's what I like. And I think the fans understand that we're trying to build a team that's going to be exciting, a team that's going to win, and they're enjoying watching the process. I've always believed, and I still do and always will, that fans have to be a part of watching kids and young people grow. Come and watch them grow. You're going to see – you've seen a Zach Wierenski step into this league – and look where he is now, and the fans have watched him over those years. Boone Jenner is another example. Well, we got more coming like that. You you come and talk to me in three years about Sillinger. I think you're going to see a pretty good hockey player. And it's I think it's fun to go and watch him develop. I know I do as a member of management. You sit up there every day and you go, yeah, you know, a tough one tonight, but, boy, he did this. And then you go, wow, was he good tonight. You know, and this kid's he's not even 20 years of age yet. He's in his teens. So it's that's the type of stuff that I really do enjoy. Yeah, and the the Johnson kid that you drafted fifth overall is playing pretty well in Michigan right yeah, now. Yeah, we'll watch him play for Team Canada and the World Juniors, amongst others. So, yeah, he's. Uh, I hear a lot of good things about him. I, I haven't seen him uh, live, but I have seen him on television a multitude of times. 
He's got a he's got a he he's got an attitude of he's got something to prove. I kind of like that. With skill. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> With skill to burn. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. He's got eyes back there where most of us don't. <laughs> That's yeah. right. That's right. I'm not going to let you go from this conversation without talking about the goaltenders that you have because you have uh, you have a plethora yeah. right now. So it seems. Uh, I know you guys didn't want to see necessarily Daniil Tarasov play in the National Hockey League this year. I don't mean that in a bad way. He needs to develop. He needs to play in the American Hockey League. But you did get a taste of that yeah. because of Corpusalo's illness. And uh, what would you think? Well, I saw him play in the exhibition season, and I really liked him. Um, I I know that uh, when Ian Clark was here, he's now the Vancouver goalie coach, he had a lot to do with drafting or finding Tarasov. And the kid's driven, speaks English already. He's not afraid of it. I saw him play in the preseason game, and, you know, I just said, you know, this guy, he's an NHL goalie. You could just see that he's an NHL goalie. And uh, it's a bit of a slow start in Cleveland and then caught on and been really good. So we look at Elvis, we look at Corpy, we look at him. Um, that's really good. And they're not six foot tall either. They're big, long-limbed goaltenders, which you, which you die for, that are athletic. So we'll see how it all goes. Uh, and you're right. The the plan was if maybe Tarasov see a little bit of action in the second half. We've got to get him playing. And that's why he's gone back. Corpy's a wonderful man, and uh, he's a very good goaltender. He's itching to get back. He's kind of had nothing but bad luck. He's he's drawn the card on the tough games after we've been on the road and get home at 3 in the morning, et cetera. And then, of course, he got quite sick. And uh, he's recovering now, and... Looks pretty good, and then there's Elvis. He's he. What I've liked about him with us this year, he's he's kept us in games early a lot of times. A lot of times during the game, as we come out, we could be better, and he's stopping pucks alone, and then we get going. And Seattle, yeah, there's a perfect example of it. So you can't have enough. You just can't. We've got to figure out where we're going to go with it all, but it's pretty special. Could you handle that position today? I mean, the way it's played, the, the goaltending position is played so much different today. You know, I said to, El, I said to Elvis, uh, when was it, yesterday morning maybe, or maybe yesterday afternoon, I can't remember. I said, you know, in the old days, we used to play in the playoffs, two games and two nights at home, take a day off to travel and play two, day, two games and two nights on the road. So it was four and five nights to start a series. That's what we did. And he looked at me like I had three heads. <laughs> you what? And, and... Just what it was back then. Now, I will say that I don't think you see goalies like Grant Fuhr anymore that played 76 games out of 82 or whatever. You just don't. You need two goalies because of travel, because of what the game demands, uh, how good it is. And, uh, yeah, I, I'd love to have been able to play today. The main reason is because the equipment's a whole lot better. <laughs> I wouldn't be ducking and blinking and <laughs> holding one hand in front of my face and the other one somewhere else. <laughs> it was funny when we were in Dallas a couple of weeks ago and uh, both the goalies were sick and they couldn't go in the morning skate. Uh, you know, people were joking with you yeah. if you were on the if you were on the list. Manny Legacy, <laughs> Manny, Manny, Manny. You can go play goal if you want, Bob. <laughs> the last time I put it on was the Calgary Flames. I was living in Calgary, and Bob Johnson was the the coach, and they had a great team. They actually uh, beat Edmonton out when Gretzky Messier years. And Bob Johnson, the coach, said to me, he said, would you mind coming out and uh, maybe working with us a little bit? I said, you know, Bob, I'd like to. I need to get some exercise. That'd be great. So I show up at the Saddle Dome, had my equipment, sat in a private room, 
got dressed as they're on the ice, and then they brought me out. And he brought me out to practice their power play. So I was the goalie, and they were practicing the power play, and I hadn't had the stuff on for a long time. And they had two guys on the blue line. One was Al McKinnis, who's one of the great, great, great hard-shooting defensemen of all time, Hall of Famer. And the other guy was a forward they moved back to by name of Kenton Nielsen, and he shot nothing but rockets. So I'm in there, and they got, they're moving the puck around, and back to the point, boom, and they go by the ear, and you just you'd hear it go <laughs> right by and hit the glass or go in the net or happen to hit me. And after about 30, 40 minutes, that was it. I went off. My face was redder than a lobster. I took the gear off, and I never put it on again. Not a chance. Not after what I just went through there. <laughs> no. Goodbye. Bonsoir. Savoir faire. I was gone. That was it. What an experience that was. And Al McIsaac was doing all that with a wooden stick at the time, right? <laughs> yeah. Imagine or those Al McKinnis, guys. Yeah. Or Al McKinnis, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. yeah. Yeah. Wooden stick. Could you imagine the, oh. the graphite that they have now with the flex that they have now, you those know, guys? He's he's a world-famous defenseman for what he did as a player, but he yeah, and he's a dear friend. And he, he spent his off-seasons in Nova Scotia shooting pucks against the barn all day long. And just you saw where he got to. You know, it was an amazing lifetime story. Hall of Fame, Stanley Cup champion, one of the great rocket-shooting defensemen of all time. And uh, and at least I uh, I ended it with him anyway. <laughs> that was it. Never again. Well, J.D., uh, the times have changed. They don't shoot yeah. it against the barn anymore. They go into these high-tech facilities, yeah. and the computer breaks it down. Uh, their, their speed and their accuracy and the whole nine yards, right? So It's kind of like golf. Yeah. You know, it's it's about the shaft and the grip and all that stuff, and they can they can do what's right for you and help you even get better and stuff. The only it's a little more expensive. Yeah, well, <laughs> <Back> in my day, <laughs> it, they, they could do all. I could pay for all of that. Oh yeah, and until they can get between my ears and get yeah. me not to think in my backswing, this feels weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's true. You know what I mean? It's true. Don't hit it in the water. Yeah. You know? I, I hit a airmail with the wrong zip code. It becomes an issue. <laughs> hey, well, I just want to thank you for yeah, anytime, uh, for taking our fans through your 49 years in the in the National Hockey League. It's uh, like I said, it's a great journey that I I don't know. Everybody knows you, but I don't know I how was, many people you know, know all about you. I was thinking about this the other day of all the people that have helped along the way, and I'm sure you have people that helped you along the way to be in professional sports. And then one of them was a little crazy. I thought about even airline pilots and all that. 49 years of flying all over the place, thousands and thousands of games. These people, look what they do for a living and how they've taken care of us all. It's just a silly little thing to think about, but all the trainers, all the coaches. uh, I had coaches help me when I was in television, and thank God for that. The people you meet in this game, wonderful people. And then there's the passion of people that travel to the games pay their money, um, see a lot of wins, see games that aren't so good. They go home and they get up early for work, and then they come back again. Aren't they special people? Absolutely. Fans are special people in our sport. They really are. And without them, and we found this out last year, without them, we're nothing. We're nothing, and it's not the same. It it, it basically sucks is what it does. And there's nothing better than than a nationwide full of people. And I've really seen it this season, just the... I'd walk out after a game, and I'd go, you know, that was unbelievable. These these people are, I mean, this is just life and and special and the bond. Our, our team seems to play better at home. Uh, we're a lot, we're young, but they, there's a good marriage there. And it's because those 
fans show up and they just do what they do. It's fantastic. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, opening night this year was it was really emotional. I you know yeah. I knew we were going to have a full house, but I didn't think about yeah. what it was going to be like until we were in the moment that night. It's true, but that's it's gone on. It's gone on. It's uh, it's really a neat thing. There's something special about hockey fans. It, they're just they just they're so passionate. They pull for you guys, and uh, now they get to watch us grow again. It's, it's terrific. Yeah, I was going to say they're passionate, and you're bringing in more of them that are becoming yeah. more passionate. Yeah, it's good. Though. But hockey's growing. Hockey's growing yeah. in Columbus. The the senior leagues, the youth leagues, the the players that are coming out of there. Ohio State plays a great brand of hockey. There's all kinds of different things. So, yeah, I, and hockey, I think personally, and the McConnells brought hockey, pro hockey, NHL hockey to Columbus. There was hockey there before. But, and their mandate is, without question, not only to become an NHL player and a team and try to do well, but do your part to make the city a better place. And that was one of the things I really liked when I came back or went to Columbus the first time. They spend time, they spend money, and they do their best to make Columbus a better city. And uh, it's been a great marriage. Absolutely, no question. So, again, Thanks for talking okay. about it with me. And thanks for making us all feel like a part of this Blue Jackets oh, family. I really that's appreciate what it's about. that. That's what we're there for. We're all in this together. I say that to people all the time. You know, when you go home at night and things go well or don't, there's so many people that are involved in the livelihoods and families and passion and uh, pressure and stress. It's all that. So let's have fun doing it. That is Blue Jackets president of Hockey Operations, John Davidson. Great to catch up with him and just hear his entire story that spans 49 years in the National Hockey League. The Blue Jackets are back on the ice on Monday night in Buffalo. Game time, 7 o'clock. Pre-game coverage starts at 6.30 on the Blue Jackets radio network and on Valley Sports Ohio. That'll do it for today's edition of CBJ and 30, presented by Telhio Credit Union. Until next time, I'm Bob McElligot saying so long.